0: And we're off. And we're back. We're back. It feels good to be back.
1: It's good to be back. My friend, Mr. DeVinney. Back in the house. My Gianna's wife drove me dad. down today.
0: That's right. Gianna's dad is Gianna's
1: back. dad back in the house.
0: Gianna's dad is getting, as we are recording this, there is a chance that my wife goes into labor now.
1: Which would be the best episode ever. <laughs> Which
0: would If all of a sudden I like yeah. am gone in the episode and I just leave you hanging, then that's pretty much what just happened.
1: I'll be like, and uh so let's uh let's explore my own thoughts on That's right. my own. Actually, if if that happens, I'm going with you. You so. are,
0: because we actually need a driver yeah. at that point, because neither yeah. of us can drive. Yeah. Steph is my chauffeur.
1: Yeah, so uh welcome back everybody, Gregorian rant. So the the idea on this podcast, I was talking to somebody last night, we had gathering at the grotto. I missed it. And uh it's been I think we've really had some success because people were saying that kind of our idea on this was has been successful in terms of, we just hope a lot of you out there probably don't have a priest friend or a director of development friend. And, uh, we just, Patrick and I found over the last couple of years, there's just great conversations about what does it mean to be a Catholic in 2021? Uh, how do we live our lives as Catholics and the conversational tone is a lot of times better than kind of an intense debate or Q and a session. But anyway, I had somebody last night and I forget who it was, but whoever you are, shout out to you. Just kind of said they love the conversational tone.
0: I love it. I think it makes sense because there's something, you know, I think one of the, some of the feedback that you and I get is a lot of, uh, I think we could rehearse more, you know, like sometimes we'll banter, but in a way I think we have to, I enjoy the fact that we don't because like even for today's topic, I know very little about it. Yeah. I mean, not to pronounce it, but it makes it authentic in the conversation because to your point of most people don't have a priest friend, but everybody gets attacked with, you know, why does the church say this Catholics are this blah, blah, blah. And being forced as a lay person to try to defend yourself or defend your thoughts outside of just what, you know, is what you feel is the truth or what, you know, you've, growing up with uh to be able to pick your brain and and genuine questions that i have right it becomes helpful and it it kind of arms people which was always my goal of like look i want to be able to send it's easier for me to send a podcast to a buddy that's questioning something than it is for me to try to sit there and and walk through it um and it's less aggressive yeah so shout out to them i appreciate that
1: yeah it's good stuff So today we want to dive into a very kind of delicate topic. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have people in your life that are kind of sensitive to this. I have a lot of people in my life that uh, are very sensitive on today's topic. So today we want to talk about the Pope's motu proprio, where he came out and he put some major restrictions on celebration of what's called the TLM, the traditional Latin mass, which... I, we didn't used to call it that a couple of years ago, but it's a Trinitine Mass coming from the Council of Trent. And uh, I believe it's the 1560s. Uh, but it's, right. it's what? That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you might correct me on that one. <laughs> but the Trinitine Mass, and we'll get into a little bit of the details here, but maybe just a quick to bring you up to speed. If you don't know about this, this has been a, in certain circles within the Catholic Church, this has been very controversial and a big, big topic. And so basically what happened was uh, the Trinitine mass was codified. It was promulgated. Those are big words to say. It became the normal mass of the Catholic church at the council of Trent, which is the council that responded to the reformation. And so it's been for, for 400 years, that was the one mass anywhere in the world. It was celebrated in Latin. It was celebrated where the priest faced East, uh, which we do at Lords here, actually, Um, but we don't have a Trinitine mass. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten into that, but it was for 400 years. And in the second Vatican council, the uh, church issued a reform of the mass and it had some changes. It simplified things. Uh, The priest didn't necessarily have to face East anymore and all over the world. Most priests do not. They face the congregation. So now they don't face the same direction as the congregation, they face towards the congregation. And then uh, the Mass went to the secular language, which is called, what is called the vernacular. So if you went to Mass prior to the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, uh, if you went to Mass in 1962, anywhere in the world, it would have been in Latin. It would have been the priest facing East. There would have been more complicated um, kind of gestures and more formal kind of elements of the mass that were simplified. There were changes to the readings and other things. So anyway, that's, that's what happened. And then uh, that mass kind of became extraordinary. It, didn't, we didn't, it was suppressed. People didn't celebrate it as much. And in 2007, so this is a lot, a lot of information, but in 2007, what happened was Pope Benedict XVI issued a motu proprio uh, where he allowed any priest to celebrate that Latin Mass, the one prior to 1960, uh, really 65, and 1970. Anyway, there's there's some different dates there. But the the old Mass, the Trinitine Mass, any priest in the world could then celebrate it without permission. You didn't have to go to your bishop. You could say it, it for pretty much any reason whatsoever. There were certain guidelines. Uh, but anyway, so last week, Pope Francis came out and basically reversed Pope Benedict's decision. And he put major restrictions on the traditional Latin mass. Uh, he, he's kind of pointed to his reasoning being that he thinks the traditional Latin mass communities have become divisive and, um, and that they might question the authority of Vatican council too. So lots to talk about today. Uh, a lot of people are very hurt by this decision. Uh, and so today, we want to talk a little bit about that. About what what does this mean? Um, I have thoughts that are more theological than practical. Um, but for a lot of people, this the decision that came out was stronger than expected. People, there was rumors that he was going to put some restrictions on the Latin, the traditional Latin mass. Um, but uh, they were stronger than people expected, and the the people who are traditional Catholics are there's an uproar on the internet, at least you have to be careful with the internet of how representative that is, but there's an uproar. So that's Uh, a quick summary.
0: So, okay. Diving into a few things. Um, basically though, when you say, so he was thought to the potential to have more restrictions on it, but now where it sits, if you want to perform the traditional Latin mass, you have to get approval from the Bishop. So someone would have to go to Aquila and say, you know, do I have permission to do this? Yep, that's kind of what changed. Right.
1: So, so priests who have been celebrating the traditional Latin rite, they have to uh, receive permission for the bishop to continue celebrating it. Uh, the other, the more strict one, is that uh, from the date of the issuing of Francis's decision, newly ordained priests they don't even just have to get their bishop's permission. The bishop has to consult through the Vatican. Mm. And so, and and the bishops are encouraged. It looks like in this decision to basically say no. Um, The 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 trickiest part of the decision that Pope Francis made, and I I I would be saying the name of the motu proprio. It's uh, custodis traditionis, but I'm going to say it wrong because it's not Greek. It's Latin. So, but it's it's guardians of the tradition is the is the title of the motu proprio. And usually, usually titles of these things come from the first sentence. We don't need to get into all that. Uh, but the, maybe the strictest thing in there is, and the most confusing is Pope Francis said he doesn't want the traditional Latin mass being said in parish churches, but that the bishop should designate one or two locations in a diocese and appoint a priest liaison where that mass could be celebrated. And there's a lot of questions about that right now for instance the fraternity of st peter here in denver the fraternity of st peter has a parish our lady of mount carmel yep and they they're you know 5 miles south of us and they have a parish church i don't think they're going to be restricted because they're they're kind of a different reality um but there's a, just a lot of questions about that and they by the way that parish has been bursting at the seams it right. has been growing like crazy. And that's that's something we can talk about today, about why is that? What is liturgy? What does it mean in, in time? What is the different forms of the liturgy? Uh, how do those work? That's For me, that's the big question is like, and maybe just to show my cards a little early here, uh, the big question in so many things in church theology, and I think of a central question here is to ask ourselves a question, what is particular and what is universal? What do you mean by that? What is particular and what is universal? So, um, so particular means, um, so for instance, what would be a good example of this? A good example would be like the movements in the church. Okay. So for instance, focus, Who we have a great love for focus. Um, focus is a particular movement. They have a particular way of doing things. So they, they believe in spiritual multiplication, which Curtis Martin, a friend of mine, would argue that's universal. Uh, but, but the way they do things, the question would be like, is this something that everyone across the world is supposed to do? Got it. Is, or is, this, is, is focus, is the way they do things, uh, is it a American reality of 20th and 21st century Catholicism that is legitimate, but isn't meant to be in every time, and every place, for every person? Forever. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so, like a lot of the movements are like this. So the Neocatechumenal Way, for instance, uh, and this is pointed out in an article I read about today's topic. The Neocatechumenal Way, they they resist usually. And I can get myself in hot water today. I yeah, like take I'm everybody out. We yeah. got to watch out. I need to get like all kinds of upset listeners. But the Neocatechumenal Way tends, I would argue, they tend to not see themselves as a particular as one good thing among many in the life of the church, but I think they tend to see themselves as this is going to be universal. Got it. And, and the only, I think their, their spirit tends to say, this is what needs to happen everywhere. And, and this is at the heart. I think of today's question is that when you experience something really good, that speaks to your heart and soul and it moves you and you're like, wow, that was amazing. I encountered Jesus it changed my life. It was so powerful. The natural thing is you want everyone to have that experience. Right. right. The, the danger there though, is that we universalize a particular. Um, and so, so for instance, like uh, our lady of Lords, there's things that are universal that we participate in, in the the mass, for instance. Which is what? Uh, for instance, like the, the words of institution, let's say. What is that? That's when Jesus says, this is my body. This is my okay. blood. Or belief or belief in a Trinitarian God that's universal, that has to be everywhere in the church that's yep. not that's not like a Europe reality of like twelfth century Peru <laughs> right that's that's all times all places. this is at the heart of what it means to be a christian and so at, at large right, you have to believe in the Trinity. You also have to believe that in eleventh century France and in nineteenth century Paraguay, you know, and in twenty third century Vietnam, right. That's universal. But there are other aspects where, you know, if you come to Lourdes, uh, we play music that I think is reverent, but it's it has a flavor of 21st century right. kind of contemporary worship music. I and mean, we, we also blend it with older stuff, but that's not universal, right? The, 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 the ancient church in first century Israel or in third century Italy, they, they didn't have that kind of music. Right but they believed in the Trinity. And so the question today, and I'm talking way too much already, but I think the question today, there's other questions as well, but, but one of the ones that's, that for me is a huge one and I think that we always need to wrestle with is what is universal and what's particular. And with the, the liturgy of the Council of Trent, a lot of people would say this is, and they might not use these categories, but certain people would argue this is universal. And what I would say is there are aspects of it that are universal, but the liturgy lives in time and it changes. So I don't know. Does any of that make sense? It does.
0: <clears throat> I think there's so many questions I have for you here. I think in general, as I started to kind of wrap my head around this, when I saw this come out, I'm a little bit torn. Like I'm, I understand kind of both sides. Yeah. I think, um, Steph and I, when we were first starting to date, when I was coming into the church, we went to a wedding. My wife's been, in like 12 weddings as like a bridesmaid. It's yep. ridiculous. Um, She's very popular. She it's yeah. And, and she was in focus. So then everyone's getting married in the same year. And anyways, I remember getting into a pretty big, um, I wouldn't call it an argument, but like kind of a debate almost. Cause I was just coming to the church yeah, and some of the guys there love the traditional Latin math, Yep. And I remember kind of sitting on the outside of the circle, just kind of, observing the conference i don't really know anybody and they were just like all masses need to be in latin and i remember having a big problem with that yeah because i was like look it is hard enough first of all rsa's six-month commitment it's like it's hard enough to become catholic let alone if now i'm showing up to a church where i'm used to the big walmart size fog machines great music coffee cookies to step into not only i have no idea what the prayers are but now they're in latin yeah and it's that hurdle when the In my opinion, church is and kind of documented, but church is like bleeding from people leaving the church.
1: Well, that's not even debatable. That's just true. It's true.
0: So if you're gonna try to get people to start understanding the truth behind it, like that's a whole nother game changer. But on the flip side, where I hear, you know, Pope Francis saying it it can become divisive, I then if I like the ability to be like, okay, we know if you want that, that's Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Right? Like you go there to do that. I also see it from like if you want to be a NeoCat, that is there's an option for you. Yep. Like that's a thing. But to say like no Latin Mass, but then there's all these other, you know, the CLs, the yeah. NeoCats, all that. How is that not divisive? Because yeah. I've also seen how that's very, very divisive.
1: Yep, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a because it,
0: it it almost like I kind of want to say, look, for me, I'm not. I as of right now in my life, I have zero interest in going to the Latin Mass. Right. I, I just. And and I'm sure we could. I don't know much about it. I just. What about I, a
1: Greek mass?
0: I would do Italian mass. I love it. <laughs> I, I love the would. Italian
1: one. I bet you would.
0: I would. And and I'm all about it. I think, but I have no idea what's happening. But I still know from where. What I think is so great about the Catholic Church is, it's one thing to go to mass with you in Lords in Denver, but if Steph and I go on vacation somewhere, the mass is generally the same. The homily, maybe, yep. maybe garbage, but. It's all the same. So whether it's a different language or not, you still kind of understand what's going on. But I just, I don't really understand how he could, I mean, I get where he's coming from, but if you're going to do that, I feel like you have to come out. But then in all these other dioceses, some of our biggest churches are dedicated to certain orders. Yeah. Right. I'm the lack of, I don't know the actual terminology. So I'm a little bit kind of torn. I would rather just say, look, if you want it, go there and that's fine. Um, But it's, I don't know. I, I I don't I feel like we're kind of halfway in, halfway out on this divisive. Yeah,
1: you're you're topic. putting your finger on I think what is the biggest critique of Francis's action and his decision on this. Um and there's been I mean a lot of people who I really there's a lot of people who I love and respect and who are frankly much more intelligent than I am and who love the Lord and are just really holy people who I I disagree on this issue with cuz I I tend to lean towards um the Latin the, the the movement, let me say it this way, the movement towards the TLM, the traditional Latin mass, is exploding in faithful Catholic circles right now. So across the 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 world, I wouldn't I don't think it's a huge movement, but it's a very big movement within people who really love the Catholic Church. Right. So not the people who go to Mass twice a year. They don't they're like, what is this big deal? Who cares? Right. And there's secular like articles out there about this. They don't care. And but honestly, we shouldn't those are not the people who really are going to be um, driving forces in the church, but in the people who are. So people who get it, who love the Catholic faith and theology and who are dedicated to Jesus and to the teachings of the church, this is a huge driving force. And among priests, this is a huge driving force. So it may look small from the outside, but in really important areas. It's kind of like if you're, you know, imagine if you said, well, you know, space exploration, that's such a tiny thing. No one's right. into that. But you're like, yeah, but Elon Musk and- Bezos. Uh, Bezos uh, yeah. and who's the Virgin guy, Virgin Galactic or whatever? Uh, Richard. Richard Branson. Yep. Right? Well, those are three, that's only three people, but there's some big, big movers, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's a little bit like that in the church. This is a small, in terms of numbers, or in the overall vision, yeah. but in terms of who is engaging in this- these are the really like thinkers, drivers, people who give their life to the church. This is a huge draw, and so that's why this has been such a important topic. But I want to get back to what you were saying patrick the I think the biggest critique that I'm hearing that makes sense to me so I'm just to to tell you where I'm at I don't know if we we'll even get to this today, but I think the church lives in time, and the the liturgy is like the incarnation, so And what happened in when Jesus, when the son of God became a human being, something that was eternal and timeless, that was universal, right? Like he is beyond all truth. He is the truth himself. He is beyond any language. He is beyond anything humans can conceive of. The son of God became a human being with a particular body who lived in a particular time, right? And think about this. Eternity is not just time extended forever. Eternity is like stands above time. It's almost a different category. God is eternal, and he became particular, he became temporal. He entered into it a, a particular time. Jesus, right? He is the Word of God that is beyond any language, right He spoke aramaic right and and so. The movement of Christianity for me, and I don't think just for me, this is, this is Christianity, is that you have to have a hold on both of those things. You have to be able to say that what is eternal lives in time. And so, so to show my cards a little bit, uh, I have a respect for the traditional Latin mass. It's beautiful. As Pope Benedict said in his motu proprio, something that was sacred for centuries and centuries of Christians can no, can be some, cannot be something that is banal or harmful in our time. And I think there's a real truth to that. There's a respect I have for that. But to me, it feels like the, the movement towards traditional Latin masses in our time is an attempt to take the temporal and the particular and divorce it from the universal. And just
0: make it universal, you're saying?
1: Like yeah, exactly. Forever. It's trying to freeze something in time. Got it. And the movement of Christianity for me is that, and we'll we'll get to this today. That I hope the liturgy does change. There are limits to that, and this is this is where the rubber meets the road, and where the real argument is, is how much is too much change, and how much is legitimate. And people, not everyone, over broad generalizations here, but people who are in the traditional community they tend to argue for continuity, right? They, like you're talking about, you can understand mass anywhere in the world. They would push that further. They would say prior to the Vatican council, the second Vatican council, it would literally be the same anywhere, anywhere. in the world.
0: Right, right.
1: It would be the exact same words in the same language anywhere. And they would say, you know, Latin's the universal language. And they have a point there. But, but my point would be the, the, the Latin mass, the traditional Latin mass, developed out of apostolic tradition in the early centuries of Christianity, but it developed. And so if you talk to a traditional Catholic, they'll say, you know, if I say, hey, well, the Tridentine mass is 400 years old. They would say, well, with a huge asterisk, because what they would say is they would say, actually, really, it was the same mass. It developed all the way from the beginning and developed into this. But it developed and what I would say is the Mass of Vatican II is the same thing. Is It's also a development. Got it. Yep, yep. And, and what happened in both of, and this is a little bit more in the weeds than I wanted to get into, but both of those councils, the, the Council of Trent and the Council of the, the Second Vatican Council, both of them said, we need to return to the, the, the font of revelation, to the early mass of the, of the Catholic church. Both of them were trying to do that. Um, but I kind of lost my head. We were talking about something else.
0: Well, I, okay. Well, I think my, <laughs> when I first saw it, and not to dumb this down from where we just were, but what I think was frustrating for me was I, I read it and I'm like, really, that's where you chose this, yet we have yeah, bigger debates like it. soup itch and abortion and Biden and this and that. And yet you huddled up with all your bishops and this is what you came out with. Like you're going to pick on something like that. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's that's. there's a much bigger fire brewing here of like talking about being divisive and yet you're going to focus on this. What? Yeah. No, this is,
1: that's the right argument I think. And like with, so I agree with you. So this is the one critique, you know, um, like Monsignor Charles Pope wrote about this, who's a really intelligent, great priest. Uh, and he loves the traditional Latin Mass. And he said exactly that. And his thing is right now, and I do, it seems, there's something that seems disproportionate. So the German bishops are on the verge of okay. declaring public clear heresy, like not debatable, just straight heresy. Like they're, they're, they are pushing women's ordination, married priests. Married priest is a little bit more debatable, but women's ordination, uh, gay marriage, transgenderism, women in the hierarchy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Things that are settled dogma and yeah. have been for 2000 years. And that's, I think that's a part of me that this, it seems a little weird of like, this is the thing you chose to kind of clamp down on. Totally. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, I just, and you're, you're waiting for something from, the Pope and you're just kind of like hoping there's going be some direction and all of a sudden you're just like, what? And then it's fueling more of a fire for anybody that is traditional Yeah, is now going to have even, I think, you know, our guys at the pillar, I was reading something from them and they pointed out like at your point earlier, it is a small crowd, like the traditional yeah. Latin mass only, they, they have it cited at like 4%. I, I can't remember. It was just in the U S like that, that are traditional Latin mass.
1: Yep. But again, it's a powerful 4%. It is.
0: That's a big four
1: percent yeah. um like the, the percentage of young priests right now who want to celebrate the traditional ad mass is growing and growing and growing and this will it'll be interesting to see what happens here because now if a guy's ordained from here on out he has to have permission from rome essentially right. to celebrate the traditional ad mass
0: why do you think it's so popular among the to be ordained priests that it's growing in such a sense like do you like I don't know. Maybe you look, yeah, at, it's a tough question. I you mean, know, it was so popular among the focus crowd. Yeah. Like in and, and my small sample size of that one, I'm thinking of one time in civic, but they were so adamant about it. And I think maybe it is a natural progression when you start to, it's almost like it felt like to me, like it's expert level Catholicism, like yeah. For, as a new What do you guy, say?
1: What is it? Expert level 9,000 Expert or level 9,000. 9, like, wow. I got it right.
0: You did. Um, yeah where you're kind of like you're taking your baby steps in you're like there's no way i can um understand it it's not wait was that our
1: thousandth caller
0: it should have been live on the air um is uh you go into it with you need the entry level but then as you progress i think you start to appreciate it more and you start to learn things like yeah totally said the one note i, I wanted to talk about you kind of Referenced it, but when you say in the Latin Mass they face east, right? Why is that? And and to put that into perspective too visually, like at Lord's here, yep. When you said that, like the way Mass typically is done anywhere else that I go, the priest is facing the congregation and like the crucifix is behind him, yep. And all the parishioners are then looking, yeah, um, he's
1: facing the people. That's right. In Latin, we call it pro populum towards the people.
0: Got it. So that word towards the people, but then in traditional and what you've done here, and that was kind of my question too. And yeah, like how did this decision does it affect you? Because you recently came out and you, and I understand it more for where what I've heard you say something resonated with me is what's so cool watching you do it now, where you still have a non-traditional Latin mass, but it's our typical mass. But what you do is you now face the crucifix yep. when we are looking at the crucifix, like we see the back of you, Yep. which to me, I love. And I, and I've heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it is so much more prayerful for you it is. as a priest being able to, now you are actually holding up the body of Christ, looking at Jesus on the cross. Right. There's something so beautiful about that. Um, did any of that change? No,
1: change so this doesn't change that. And so the, there's a big debate. So, the there is a missile promulgated by uh, Paul VI in 1970, which is the current mass uh, of the the Roman rite. The, so the missile, the missal is the book that I use on the altar,
0: gotcha, the
1: Roman true. missile. Yeah. And that, that mass, the, the definitive one after Vatican II ended, that book came out in 1970. Um, but anyway, there's big debate and the, there's a, one of the documents of Vatican II talks about which direction should the priest face. And it's in Sacrosanctum Concilium, which means um, this most, most holy council. It usually those words, like I said, come from the first, it's just the opening line of the, of the document. Got it. But anyway, Sacrosanctum Concilium is talking about uh, where the priest should face. And there's a big debate about the translation of that passage because it says it's praiseworthy and the way the sentence is structured, and I'm not, this is not my area of expertise, but there's a debate about whether when it says it is praiseworthy, if it means for the priest to face the people or if it means for him to be able to walk around the altar to incense it so that the altar is not attached to a wall.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And it's debated which one the, the Latin is saying is praiseworthy or if it's both. Um, but, it, but either way, Vatican II allows for the priest to continue to face East. And the reason we do that, and the reason the, and so this is where like the details matter. Yeah. And so what is tradition? What is handed on? What, where do the lines get drawn? Yep. What can you change and what can you not change? And so the, the reason that I like facing East, one, it is more prayerful for me. I think it says in our gestures that it's not just the priest offering mass. I think when I face the people more than anything I could ever say verbally, I think that gesture and that, that, um, stance, what it does is it says, Oh, father, Brian's saying mass and we'll watch. Right. And we'll try to be attentive and kind of prayerful. When while we you're do
0: looking it. at the, when you're facing the parishion. Yeah. And yeah. so,
1: but facing East, what it's meant to do is a couple things. One is it's meant to say all of us. And I was, when I explained this to our congregation, I like to cite the prayers of the mass, right? In the, in the mass, we say, pray brethren that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the almighty father. And the idea is that it's not just the priest is at the head of the congregation and he acts the Latin. I never use Latin, but today's, it fits today's topic a Latin mass. Like I'm (laughs) quoting the Latin today. In Latin, we have a phrase in theology and we say in persona Christi capitas, And what that means is in the person of Christ, the head. And in theology, what we mean is that when the priest acts in the sacraments, he is acting, or maybe even more properly, it would be good to say, Jesus is acting specifically in him as the head of the body, which is the church. So in persona Christi capitis, the head in the person of Christ, the head. But if the head of the church is offering, the mass, the whole body as well is supposed to. Interesting. So that's not going to change for us. The other thing, and we could get into autorientum, but this is where the details matter. So so tradition, do you know what the word tradition means literally? No. So um <laughs> I like your I love the bluntness. Nope. Patrick just gave me the like look of like you were such a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So tradition literally means to hand on. Got it. That's what it means. And, and, I, and this is where the, the, the details matter is what are we supposed to hand on? And, and so th- what I would argue is that just getting into the details of it, facing east is something that goes back to the very ancient church. And the symbolism of it is, is what I just said, but it's also the idea is that the east for the early Christians is the direction of the sunrise. And so the resurrection and also of the return of Christ. And so what it meant was the whole church looks to the East and we await the return of Christ. And then in some way, that's the way you're supposed to live your whole life. And Pope Benedict has a great line where he talks about how there's two liturgies that always happen in the life of Jews and Christians. And so like there's, there's the litur- liturgy, means worship. It's one of the words in Greek in the new Testament for worship, liturgos or liturgia. Uh, but the, um, there's, there's a liturgy that we do in church. And so for Jews in the temple, but then when Christ comes in the mass, but there's also the liturgy of your life. And so in the mass, when we turn and face East, that says something. And what it's supposed to say is that not only do we face East during the mass, but actually it's supposed to say my whole life is about turning away from the things of this world. And I live my life waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And if I know he's coming to make all things right and to judge the world, I'm going to live differently than someone who doesn't believe that.
0: Is that beautiful? That's awesome. Yeah. I think one of my favorite classes you do in RCA is when we kind of talk about the, the way that our church here was designed. Yeah. Like when you say it seems easy to skip over or kind of, you understand that concept, but literally the way that our church is designed is it it runs east to west yeah and you walk in there's a whole story behind where the why the baptismal font is where it's at. the church faces east for all these things that it really is gorgeous i think my question and going back to where you said i think you used the word when we were kind of comparing traditional uh, progression or like
1: yeah like like the, the development the uh, development yeah <clears throat>
0: I mean, to me, it's kind of like, how did we even get to that point where it was like, upon this rock you will build my church? Like, yep. it just Jesus didn't show up, and all of a sudden there was like churches facing east and left exactly. east and west, and now we're, you know, carrying that tradition on. Yeah, it literally we didn't really. It was like kind of grassroots. I've heard people argue the churches, you know, this the small church in the house, like that's, that's right. how it mm-hmm. originally yeah, they started. Were churches, yep. So saying it's Latin or traditional you kind of like you can even push back on that of how it originally started to where it's at now.
1: Yeah. And that's and and so this is that's the right question. Right. So the earliest churches were not cathedrals. Right. Right. This is this is one of the arguments of the neocatechumenal way. Is they're saying we need to get back to the beginning.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And and we don't live in a in a Christian Catholic era. And so they would say, you know, we're supposed to be in house churches. Because that's more similar that's to the, word, the time.
0: Just, right, right, right. And,
1: and so, but you know what's interesting? So this is just one aspect of this. Yeah. But, but you're, you're touching on the right thing is that the, um, the early church didn't have cathedrals. It didn't have vestments the way that we have them now at yep. least. Yep. They, I mean, I, I, would, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this question. I would think the early church had some form of vestments. Because the church understood liturgy from its Jewish roots. So there, there probably were, but what's interesting is in archeology, span when we find early Christian house churches, it seems like the norm was that the East wall had a cross carved into it. Wow. And so actually this is something that goes back to the most ancient kind of tradition of the church. But the question is, what, what is particular? What's universal? That's right. Is that a universal thing that's always supposed to be the norm or is it particular? And that's not for me to decide, right? Ultimately the Holy spirit, we believe guides the church, but um, to me, that that's a stronger argument. So I, I cannot say as a priest it's illicit or wrong for a priest to face the congregation. I can't say that the church has allowed it. Right. Do I think it's a better practice to to face East? Yes, I do. Uh, I think it helps people pray. I think it's it's more powerful, and it's and so. But the question is, what are the things that have to stay the same, and what are the things that can change? And so, for instance, vestments. So if you go to a, a traditional Latin Mass, you're going to have what's called a fiddleback vestment. Father V told here at Lourdes has some of them, and they just they're just shaped differently. So the the back of them looks like a fiddle. It's like carved. It's much more narrow. Wow, And it was, it was, it allowed greater mobility for the priest and his gestures. It's a different looking vestment, but that's a middle ages thing. And so what happened is those vestments developed with time. And the question is, what are the things that can't change? And what are the things that actually need to change? And I would argue, so people, most, most people who really believe in the Trinity mass is kind of the highest form and those who are intelligent about it. And that's the people we should speak to, right? We should never, we should never take cheap shots at people who don't know what they're talking about. But one, one common mis, kind of thought out there is that Latin is a holier language intrinsically. That is just false. That is just false. Jesus, you know, Jesus did not speak Latin, as right. far as we know. Uh, he spoke Aramaic. He probably spoke some Greek. He probably spoke some Hebrew because those are the languages that he lived in but his, his normal language would have been Aramaic. The last supper was not Latin, right? The last supper did not have fancy vestments. Uh, and you can't, and, and sometimes people will talk in a way, and no one would ever say this, but when people punch my buttons, because sometimes they do, I have people at Lourdes who will come after me and they'll say, Father Brian, why do you celebrate the no- Novus Ordo is what our mass is called? The new order of the mass. Why do you celebrate that? That's so awful. And, and again, people in the traditional Latin communities. One person I should mention by name, um, father Jackson, who's the pastor at our lady Mount Carmel is phenomenal. Yeah. I love him. He is intelligent. He is kind. He's balanced. He's a great, he's been a great pastor for the church at our lady of Mount Carmel here in Denver. And I have all the respect in the world for that man. I might not agree with him on everything, but I really respect him. Um, but some people would say, Father Brian, how how can you celebrate the Novus Odo? Which he wouldn't say, others would. And, and one of the things I always say to people is like, look, the, the Jesus did not celebrate a mass in Latin with fancy vestments. Right. And and well, an argument you always hear, and I, there's so many things on this topic. It's so complex. There's so much to talk about. But you will hear people say, and there's a tension here. So one of the things people will argue is they will say, that the Trinitine mass is the most beautiful form of the mass that has ever existed. And they would say it developed organically and it got to this place where this is the most beautiful form. And they would say Vatican II, And if, if they're, I think if they're honest, you know, I don't want to caricature it, but I think many of them would say Vatican II fell away from that. And there's a couple, there's a tension here. So on one level, I don't believe that beauty is purely subjective. I don't. So I, I do believe there is a hierarchy to beauty. And so I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument. Certain people would say, well, you know, you like country music. Uh, I like Hillsong, whatever you like, it's just your opinion. That's not fully true. There is a hierarchy to beauty. We have to attune ourselves to appreciate beauty. There's a reason why uh, classical music is perennial. Why? Which why it's
0: not beautiful, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, perennial means not beautiful. <laughs> perennial means through the years that it's it. No one's gonna look back at Mozart and be like, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, maybe you would. And they're like, "That is so." What's? I don't even remember what century Mozart is. It's so like 19th century. It's so lame. Um, but that 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 music has a lasting effect through time. Whereas, like, you know, I was I don't know why I always think of Britney Spears when I think of modern music. Yeah. In hundred years, no one will know who Britney Spears was, right? It's just it, that it, it's, it's conditioned by a particular time. So that, again, this is this, this, issue of what, what is lasting and what is, what is particular, what is universal, by the way, particulars are good. We're supposed to live in time, right? Like it's like when people say, I love humanity, that's universal, right? All human beings. Well, do you love your neighbor? Right. You meet certain people who have these really high ideals about, I love the human race and I just, I love humanity. I want it to flourish. Love I just wins. Ha- love wins. I hate the person next to me and I, and do terrible, awful, mean things to them. No, like you have to love things that are particular That's why movements are good. Right. Th- this is why we have to, we have to live in our time and love the people, not just universally, but in a particular way. Um, but so, so these things develop with time, yeah. and so when someone's trying to push my buttons, one of the things I will say to them is: so that they want to argue for there's this hierarchy of beauty, and they'll say that the Trinitine Mass it reaches pinnacle. Here's my argument against this: there is a hierarchy to beauty, so we have to hold on to that on one pole, but the other pole is this: the most beautiful thing that ever happened in the history of the world was the crucifixion of a naked man. Yeah. I'll get emotional with this, but, but we have to allow God, what God does, God turns human categories upside down. And so the things that human beings tend to think are beautiful. I have sympathies with this. I think people should be reading, you know, the great classics of, of Western civilization. I think that you can't compare um, John Grisham to Dante, I'm sorry, you can't. There is a hierarchy. At the same time, where right, when people say this, this liturgy that has incense and Mozart's music is playing, and the priest, and there's a lot of gestures in the traditional Latin Mass, lots of bowing, you kiss a cross. I don't know how many times, but it's a bunch. And then there's a, they say this is the pinnacle. And what I want to say to them is, I want to say. God turns the world upside down. And what is beautiful in the eyes of God is not necessarily what we think it would be. And so St. Bonaventure, I've been being on St. Bonaventure lately. Bonaventure, right? The contemporary of St. Thomas Aquinas. Bonaventure had a very strong distaste for pomp in the liturgy. What is pomp? So when things are like over the top. Okay. So when you go to if you imagine going to like a coronation for a King, there's a certain line of thinking that says, so St. John Vianney kind of thought this way. People will quote him all the time. They'll say, you know, St. John Vianney lived poverty. Satan, when Satan attacked Vianney, he used to call him potato eater. Cause that's all he ever ate. And so Satan would be like, you potato eater, <laughs> which doesn't sound too scary. Yeah. It's like, whatever Satan, you rascal. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Munchkin you. (laughs) Right.
1: You little, you little rascal you, but people will quote Vianney and they'll say, okay, Vianney was poor in every aspect of his life, except liturgy. So he would be poor but then he would save and he would make sure that the liturgy was beautiful. And there's a, I love that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Bonaventure on the other side, though, would say we can push that too far. And this has been my experience sometimes is people say more beautiful, more better, more, more chant, better, more incense, better, more gold on the altar, better. And they're like, how could you not believe that God is, God is the highest thing that exists. So shouldn't we use our highest things to honor God? And there's a certain truth to that. Conversely, right? The sacrifice of our God is a broken and contrite heart. And sometimes we get so fixated. And this is this is why I, I have a certain um, reticence towards people who, when they move towards the traditional Latin mass, is that they tend sometimes at least to think this way. And I'm like, there's a truth to what you're saying. But the other truth is what Bonaventure is getting at. What Bonaventure says is that what makes the liturgy beautiful is the poverty of God's son who died on a cross. And we walk around with these priests who have these gold threaded chasubles and somehow, and and, and so I think the church in our time, and we, we could continue this another time. We could keep going. I don't know. The nervous ordo crowd, and this is something a lot of people will say, but I think this is, this is what we're trying to do at Lourdes. When you go to a lot of the, the masses today in the world, or the reason a lot of people go to the Trinitine Mass is because our modern masses, and Pope Francis said this in his motu Proprio, our modern masses are filled with abuses. And so if you go to the average parish church, there's no sense of reverence. There's no sense that you are actually walking to the place where God, where, where heaven touches earth. Yeah. Right. And where, where the infinite God who is beyond truth, beyond beauty, beyond goodness, the, the most sacred thing that has ever happened, right? When you are made present to the crucifixion of the son of God and the average church, not to, not to pick on them, but I'm going to pick on you. Is, is singing songs like All Are Welcome. That's just a tacky 70s song. Yep, yep. Or they're singing, sing a new church in a being. It's like, hey, we'll sing a new church in a being and it'll be better than the one that Jesus made because it'll come from our mouths. It's like, it's, it feels to many of us as if you have made something beautiful and incredibly dignified into something cheap and common. And I think that's why people go to these Latin masses is because our masses are terrible. Yeah. The homilies are terrible. The music is terrible. There is no silence and sense of reverence and awe and wonder. And I just think if, if the Norvis Ordo mass did that, that's what we try to do at Lords. And what we try to do is to say the eternal mass of God that is universal lives in 2021. And it can be in English, so we all pray the Mass together. The reason I face east is the same reason that I like the Mass in English, is because it's not just the pre Saint Mass. Right. It's all of us. So.
0: I, so yeah. I feel like everything that's particular should lead, if I'm understanding this right, should lead to the universal being Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And All these other details, I feel like, again, pointing back to, you could focus on the Latin mass. But we are so, when you're saying this of like where our our church is today and Pope Francis can reference it, which almost actually makes me more mad because I'm like, we're focusing on something that we see this movement leading to the Latin mass because there is so much brokenness happening among our bishops, among the scandals that have happened, among all these other things that you're just, peeling back very minor part of the onion here. Yeah. That is, there's so much more that needs to address a common truth within the church that needs to be displayed, you know, like between you and Bishop Barron that say things in a very, um, beautiful way of what the church teaches. Yet the guy in Chicago is saying something totally different. James Martin is saying something <laughs> totally different. The guy
1: in Chicago. Like I, you know, I don't, I, it's, again, that's yeah, my dad, I, he means my dad's old friend, Denny. That's, that's yeah.
0: right. Homeboy in Chicago, um, but is now an outcome of what leads people to that desire. To in a way, I kind of get it. Like, of you want to see the gold, you want to see all this stuff. That again is just drawing your eyes to the crucifix. Yeah. But we're so far away from that in 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 a regular setting that it. I kind of get where how it just leads to more and more quote unquote reverence. Yeah. But again, you got to look back to. The way it all started, and how right. you know i I'm as you were kind of talking there, I'm like, did John the Baptist wear all white when he was in the water, like, yeah, we're how, in Alabama. that's right, like how did all that happen, and yeah. like I think at this point, like I'd be kind of more encouraged to just kind of keep going with it for a few, maybe to like fine. part two yeah. of this mm. um because like Steph right now is reading a book on marriage, um But it really is designed and it kind of talks about the fear of God. Like, if we feared God, right, and God becomes your center in your relationship, you have a a much more um, high likelihood of success in your marriage. Sure. Right. Like, you're going to respect each other. You want that person, your number one goal is to get that person to heaven, all those kind of things. And I feel like the traditional mass also follows that. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the Latin mass is very, very centered on a lot of rules and I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I just, I feel like it's much more strict.
1: There seems to be a spirit of that. I don't think it has to be that way, but there seems to be a spirit of that. Yeah.
0: I feel like the people that I encounter, um, then you get this tension of the fear of God versus the love of God. Like, where you're saying that tacky 70s line of, you know, all is welcome, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Versus there is a reality of like, we have to be fearful of God, but also know that God loves us. Yeah. And so, is that kind of a particular sense of where we're at now in time that we need it to get us back on a discourse of the universal truth of Jesus came in this place in time 2000 years ago and died for us?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I think you're right on. There's how do you do that? And there's, that's why being a Christian is an art, right? It's not simply a science. It is not simply there's four steps and, and there's that tension that you're talking about. Like, you know, some, the the divine and the human in Jesus, Jesus is both and they're perfectly united within him, but they're distinct. They're not the same thing. But this is the same thing in the life of every Christian and in the life of the church in history. And people, we all react. I wish I wasn't reacting reactionary, but I am. I just react to people. And I think broadly in the church, we react to things. And so the, the, the generation that implemented Vatican II, they were reacting against the generation before them. And if you read people writing in the time of the... 60s and 70s, they tended, again, these are broad overgeneralizations, but they tended to perceive the church of the 40s and 50s and into the 60s as a rigid, cold place. But then, right, like our generation, and especially, you know, among priests and really devout Catholics, I grew up, even with priests who I really respect, some of the priests who I love and respect, mass was a circus. When I the church I grew up at, every year during like the first Sunday of um Lent, the choir director would run in and interrupt the homily in the middle of the homily, and he would be dressed as John the Baptist, and he would like cry out, like, Repent, prepare the way of the Lord. And it just felt like, when did we move to Broadway? You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like how did how the hell did that happen? Like
0: Vince Vaughn and Four Christmases.
1: Yeah. And and there's this spirit of, in my mind, the pendulum swings. Yeah, the pendulum yeah. swings, and that's that's why I think. And there's there's so many particular questions about this. There's questions about there are 23 rites in the Catholic Church. I think it's 23, where there's 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 different forms of the mass. Because because here's what, the other thing that happens is the the largest rite, and what we mean by rite is the ritual that developed in one kind of way. And so the, the Latin rite that you and I celebrate is apostolic. It goes back to the ancient church. But so do a bunch of other ones. They're just much, much smaller. So the, the, like I don't know what the percentages are, but like nine-tenths of the Catholic world is in the Latin rite. And we have these huge debates about, about this kind of thing, but there's other rites. And
0: other rites, meaning, is that like, when you say that, is that neocat or is that Byzantine?
1: Like Byzantine. Okay. So neocat is a new, they're, they're part of the Roman rite, the Latin rite, but they're a modern kind of reality within that rite. But but there are rites that go back to the apostles themselves that are, and then this is the thing, what is particular, what is universal, right? So the mass of St. John Chrysostom, which is a Byzantine rite, The Mass of St. John Chrysostom is completely legitimate. It is the sacrifice of the Mass. It looks different from the way the Latin rite developed in certain ways.
0: And that's because though the apostles were spread out, right? Like that is the region of like when they were instituting upon this rock. At that time, it was happening in a different geographical location.
1: Yeah, and and right, and what's eternal lives in time. Right. So our mass developed in a Latin culture. And in Rome, right, the Roman culture in the Latin West, part of the Roman Empire, that culture grew into a a different way than the the Byzantine Greek-speaking East. So Latin, West, and Greek East, they developed kind of different cultures. Um, And so what happened, though, we've got a phone call coming in. Go ahead, caller, you're on the radio. Yeah. Um, But they developed in different ways. Uh, And so that what is eternal lives in time. That's the point, right? The one mass, the one liturgy that God gave us, that is the crucifixion of Christ. It looks, it takes a little bit of a different form in the Greek East or in the Coptic kind of rites of Egypt. Yeah. That's another ancient rite of the church and they look a little different and that's okay. And so that's, but, but I think we get in trouble, not just with this issue, but we get in, we get in, trouble when we're not mature enough to see the difference between what is particular and what is universal. And so I love the way our lady of Lords is people said to me last night at the gathering of the grotto, people were saying, how do we spread this across the whole world? And actually that would be inappropriate. There are aspects of what we do that I love. And I think are really important, but it's going to look different in Sudan, right? Right, it's going to look different, and we have a the at St. Louis. We have a Croatian Mass. The Croatian Mass is a group of people who come from a right from Croatia. They have a particular culture, a particular language, and it means everything to them. And so, I think you know, kind of moving forward, and we're uh, we're at about an hour now. But the question, you know, I think for those of you out there who love the TLM, the Traditional Latin Mass, you know. I'm not maybe in the same place as you, but I respect that. But the question is, how do we live the, what is universal in 2021? And how does, how does the church find unity? And I'll tell you, and one, one last maybe the last comment from me would be, most of you out there are not like this, but there are voices in the traditional Latin community that tends to be very faithful, that are saying unbelievably nasty things about Pope Francis right now. And if you're in that community, you are the ones who need to stop listening to those voices. And there are ones in, in the Norris order community who would do the same. And those are voices we need to not listen to. Right. Right. We You can disagree with Pope Francis. You can say, I think he made a bad decision here. That's totally legitimate as a Catholic. But when there are people, there's one blogger out there saying Pope Francis hates tradition. He hates everything that is true and good. And I'm like, that everyone who ever listened to that guy should immediately stop following him.
0: I I honestly don't know who you're referencing, but I would venture to guess, or at least- No, it's not
1: the one you're thinking of. Okay, very um, interesting. He's been really bad too, though.
0: I would imagine. Um Where, where, so when you read what came out. Yep. Your instant gut reaction. Without diving in all the particular universal blah blah blah, were you like okay, I get it, or oh boy,
1: I was more of the former. And but but again, you've got to put it in the context of at Our Lady of Lords in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. We're not like the average church, right? And so if if I think if I was like, um, for instance, I know people in California who their options are yeah. Well, I can go to a TLM mass and there's actually people who are, know how to pray, they're reverent, they believe what the church teaches, or the local parish, the priest is pro-transgenderism, yep. uh, the music is terrible, no one prays, and it's dying and dead. The, the TLM mass is thriving, it's reverent, uh, people seem to really love God. If I were in that place, I might feel radically different with how the motu proprio came out. At Lourdes, what I'm trying to say is we shouldn't have to pick between those two. Right. If the Novus Ordo Mass, which you have to say as a Catholic, is legitimate, you have to. If you do not say that, you're in heresy. Um, the Novus Ordo is the definitive form of the Latin Rite right now, period. Um we need to say that mass beautifully, reverently. And if we did that, we probably wouldn't have this, this issue right now. If priests actually were prayerful in the way they said mass, if congregations were prayerful when they went to mass, if they acted as if they were going someplace where they were going to encounter the eternal God who gives their life for them on the cross, if we behaved that way, the Catholic church right now would be in a very different place. Got it. So I, I think it kind of depends. So my reaction to this moda proprio has a lot to do with where I sit. And um, so the, that's my my kind of piece. One last, I, should, I always have one last thing. I'm sorry. Tradition, right? It means to hand on. I asked you that earlier. Yeah. It means to hand something on. What should we be handing on? And one essay from Balthazar, who prior to Vatican II was seen as a liberal and after Vatican II was seen as hyper-conservative. Interesting. And now again, somehow he's seen as a liberal. It's kind of funny. He didn't, he was the same person, but the, People in the world change. Yeah. Um, but he has an essay on tradition and he talks about what 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 should we be handing on? And I just, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. And he's he what he says is as beautiful as, and he had major sympathies with people who who would say the Latin right mass was more beautiful, he would have big sympathies with that. Um But what Balthazar said is when when civilization's crumbling there are things we can hand on to our children and there's things that we're going to have to lose. Yeah. And he phrases it in this way. And what he says is this, this particular piece of art, which is beautiful objectively, I might not be able to hand that on to the next generation in the church. And this, this form of the mass or this song or this, whatever, this different, these different forms, these things are beautiful and they do matter. But what he says is what tradition means for the church is Mary's surrender to Jesus. And I, th- I just was like, this cu- it cuts through all of this. And it's so beautiful. This is, I think it's in his sermon. Uh, That's the living in the interstices, which is in the book. Uh, you crown the year with your goodness, but he says tradition is a handing over. So when Jesus is betrayed, when Judas betrays him, it's the same word. Ooh. So in Greek, it's paradidomi. And so when, when Jesus is betrayed, another way to translate that word is he was handed over. And so what tradition is, is a handing on. It's a handing over of something. So you and Steph will hand things over to Gianna. You will entrust and, and, and have a tradition with her where you hand yeah. things on to her. And so what, what Balthazar gets at is that the real tradition of the church is a surrender of our hearts and our lives to the living God, and which is what Mary did. And so in a time where Western civilization appears to be collapsing, should we be holding on to you know, and I want to hold on to the, the art of Caravaggio. I want to hold on to Palestrina. These are amazing and beautiful things, and I do want to hold on to those, but those aren't the centerpiece. The centerpiece is what Mary did. In Luke chapter one, when she said yes. When she said yes to God in first century uh, Nazareth and gave her life away. That's what tradition is. Gosh, that's good stuff.
0: I feel like it it always points back to me though. Like when you say this, and I think it just rocked my world. um, And when you talk about if your church and the parish you go to If your priest can give you the ability and whether, even if he can't, you always say this, if you have trouble concentrating in mass, like, do you need all the extra gold and glitter and all this stuff to point you in that direction? Or do you have, can you put yourself in a place that you sit there and you put yourself at the face of the cross in front of Jesus being crucified every Sunday, every daily mass, every anything, all the other stuff, the, the fancy paintings, the stained glass, all that kind of stuff goes by the wayside. And if you can put yourself there, yeah. that automatically just brings you to what the church is and what Jesus yeah. did for
1: us. Right. And that's, that's right. And that's what all of us can do. And we've got it. We just got to find that tension. Like, cause the beauty does matter. I I mean, we just built a beautiful right. church, right? but you're right. Like, so The the joke I wanted to say is like, you know, can you put yourself in Jesus crucified? It's like, well, most Catholics feel like that on Sunday. They're like, the the experience of this homily and this music and yeah. this ugly church is kind of like the crucifixion. Yeah, and that doesn't mean we should have ugly liturgies. It doesn't mean that. Uh, and so that's why this is an art. Yep. There's an art of how do we how do we make the eternal, beautiful, perfect truth of God live in the year 2021. And it doesn't have to be frozen in 17th century France. Totally, That's a tough balance. No one does it perfectly. Uh, but that's, for me, these are the, the the right kind of questions. And in extremes, we need to avoid. That's right. All right. Well, we're over. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Today's a very heavy topic. I'm sure we didn't treat it perfectly. But uh, send us an email, uh, rant at lordsdenver.org. Uh, and, uh, next time we're on, uh, Patrick and Steph, their baby might be with us. She probably will be. So pray for a healthy delivery for Gianna and for Steph and Patrick as they welcome their daughter into the world. Thank you. See you next time.